Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. We are recording a little bit late this month because I was very sick last week and left everybody hanging and everybody was waiting to do the podcast at 7am in the morning and I didn't show up, which was very naughty of me, but uh, we're back actually this week. We managed to get everybody together to to give it another go and uh, certainly appreciate getting up so early. Thanks for joining us, Harvard. Oh, always happy to be here. And thanks for joining us, Trent. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still seething about uh, you know waking up at 6 a.m. I was actually prepared that time. I had a shower and everything, and then there was no mat. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> so, what do you need to have a shower for to be on a podcast, Trent? <laughs> when we record it's, remotely, you, you you know you don't even have to be wearing pants if you don't want to. It's, it's a psychological thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about being clean. It's about being awake. It's about preparing for the day so you're ready for the podcast. So what you're telling us is you're not clean, awake, and ready for the podcast this week, is that it? I mean, that's how we all, always used to roll, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been playing this week, Trent? I played Metroid. Oh, did you? Yes. Um, are you going to yell at me as well, like everybody else on the internet? No, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm... I'm slowly regretting my purchase. Oh, really? <laughs> no, it's just start. too hard. It's hard. <laughs> don't need <laughs> another wave of this, but yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, but the whole introduction cutscene thing was very low budget, and the music was like driving me insane because it was like just a simple, like, you know, progression and was just horrible and was over and over and over and over again and didn't even have any spacey metroid style theme to it it was just da 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 or whatever it was it was horrible <laughs> <laughs> and i must admit i don't even remember the music but uh yeah the game the game's fine i mean it's it's fine it's just that's the problem i guess it's fine I mean, if it was the if sequel to the 3DS game and it was all on that, I think I probably would be less. I I don't know. It just see, the trailers made it seem out. Like it had more polish and was more prettier and stuff like that. Uh, and it just really isn't like it looks good, but like it just seems to be more finessed in the trailers. Hmm. Yeah, I always I'm... did think that they were gonna like fern it in with this one because I remember the 3DS Metroid. It was it was all modern and it was just like they kind of sanded away all the things that used to make the series interesting. I've got to say I'm not the world's biggest fan of Mercury Steam either. That was probably part of it for me. Um, like I said in my review, I thought it was fine, uh, and it's just by Nintendo standards, uh, especially on the Switch. I've I've had plenty of games that I've enjoyed more than this one, I guess, and I think yeah, Mercury Steam's not my not my jazz usually. It's like so, the Star Fox game. It was fine, but it really didn't project, you know, the series further. And now Star Fox doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess, the other concern is what is Nintendo going to do yet next? I mean, they do have the next 3D Metroid coming if they ever get around to finishing that one. But who knows of the status of that one? It could be a while before we have the next Metroid. Anyway, I hope people that do enjoy their metroids get into this one it's it's fine <laughs> i don't really have any other words to describe it it's just fine harvard what about you what have you been playing i think it's very fitting that trent's been playing metroid because i've been playing the uh, gba castlevania collection and uh, yeah that's good stuff 
Yeah, I think the thing that I'm learning is that, first of all, the GBA Castlevania games had so much love and care put into them. You can clearly tell the forethought of the um, developers and everything. In just every room you go into, you think about someone who has made this in this way for the player to experience, and that's just been a lot of fun. But also, it's a good lesson in how important theming is. I think maybe, I don't know if you're the same as me, Matt, but I don't find science fiction quite as compelling visually as gothic horror and i think the the visual direction that the gba games take just make exploring the castle so much more fun to me than exploring like a space station or something you know yeah i think for me anyway um one of the problems that i've had with metroid for quite a while not just this metroid but the, the series in general is that they seem to be going for this horror sci-fi vibe um well, it's not seen. They definitely are. But they, they never quite execute on that for me anyway. It's always a little bit too not horror. It's like um, it's like they're trying to make my first Aliens experience for younger people um, who maybe are not old enough yet to, to enjoy Aliens itself. But, yeah, it just misses, misses the mark. It's like it's trying to be horror, but it's not horror. And that that doesn't work for me. Whereas the whole gothic fantasy thing which castlevania goes for the series has been consistently good at landing that um i even thought the first lord of lords of shadow which was also a mercury steam game uh, executed on that i thought the second one missed the mark um and i thought the the 3ds uh, castlevania missed the mark but right up to those games i thought that one of the defining characteristics of castlevania is it always hit that gothic fantasy thing just beautifully, which was a big part of why I think I prefer those games to pretty much any other Metroidvanias out there. It's not really my genre in the first place, but those ones I, I make an exception for, and I've been replaying the GBA ones as well. And I thought uh, I've had good memories of those games, and that collection has reminded me of why I like them. So yeah, definitely a top top quality title that one. Um, what have I been playing? That's a good question. I've been playing um, a game I can't talk about just yet, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's a redacted. It's a redacted, but um, it's one that I am going to be giving a five out of five star review for, absolutely, without a question. It's a sequel to one of my favorite JRPGs of all time, and they for have. A minute, a... I thought you were talking about the bunny game. The bunny oh, no, that's game. True. I'll, be, I'll talk about the bunny game in a second, actually. Thanks for reminding me about the bunny game, Trent. But no, this is a JRPG that's kind of the sequel to one of my favourites that almost nobody played when it first came out. I'm probably giving it away now, but uh, it was a Vita JRPG that was absolutely slammed in the media. But I played it. One other person uh, that I get along with quite well, he's, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. He played as well. We were like the only two people on the planet that really loved the game. And... Uh, They've made a sequel of it, and it delivers on everything I loved about the first plus some. So I'll be giving that a very positive review. And then I've been playing the Bunny Game, which Trent introduced me to this week. It's called Bun House, and it's just a game where you play as a bunny, growing plants, selling the plants, getting carrots, buying more plants. It's really cute. It's sweet. It's very chill, very laid back, and exactly what you need when you've uh, been busy and just want to chill for a, a bit. It's very cute. 
one me at the footage, game. like there's a lot of animations for like stuff like the bunnies are like pouring like stuff into like a box and there's like animations of the bunny bunnies does yoga. it's just like bunny does yoga it's great <laughs> it's bunny bunny doing the yoga is really cool so it's just it's just such a chill wholesome happy game and we don't get enough games that just be bunny and that's a, that's a good one. So, Would you still yeah. like it if halfway through the game they suddenly got guns and it went into like a murderous rampage game, though? No, no. <laughs> I, what I like about this one is it is just Be Bun, and Be Bun is just a gameplay experience I haven't had yet. I, I actually scratched my head to think if there was a single other game out there where you get to be a rabbit and that's it, and there isn't. There is the occasional game where you get to be a rabbit that's slaughtering stuff, which is fine because rabbits doing damage is pretty cool but this is this is just so chill it's great i'm going to give it a review uh next week and i think i'll be very positive about that too all right on that note let's get to our customary hatsune miku intro then we'll come back and talk about the games that are coming out for the second half of the month since we missed the first half but there's still plenty to talk about it's going to be a very busy second half of the month uh for the miku song what shall we play Let's go with oh, I can't I can't think of one. Um, let's go with Dear Coco Girls. I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. I think that's what it's called. Uh, I'm sure Alan will figure it out, and we'll come back after that and yeah, get chatting.
Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so let's talk about the games of October, all the ones that are coming out for the rest of the month as of this recording. Um, so we, we do have plenty coming out in the second half of October. It is going to be very busy. We are having the end of year rush now. This is the, it's probably what, the, the second half of October and November are the busiest year months in the year, generally for video game releases. So yeah, all the developers and publishers are getting their stuff out in time for Christmas. So the kids know what to buy or the parents know what to buy the kids um, put under the Christmas tree. So first up, PlayStation 4. We have Doctor Who, The Edge of Reality. That comes out on October 14. Another now, one? Yeah. What's? Huh, okay. Yeah, it's a massive multimedia property, Harvard. I think that's what they call it, isn't it? I know, but they dropped two games in like a few, the span of a few weeks, I think. Yeah. Who knows? This one's the one that's got um, Jodie Whittaker as the oh, voice of Doctor cool. Who. So this is the woman Doctor. Uh, and uh, yeah, I have no idea about anything else to do with this game. I actually don't follow the Doctor Who games that closely because most of them suck. But who knows? Maybe this one is going to be good. As a Who fan, I would like nothing more than to have a Doctor Who top shelf game. Uh, if you are in the mood for parties, because it is that season, assuming you're actually allowed out of your home, which is not the case for a lot of Australians, but if you can have a party, you can play the Jackbox Party 8 that comes out on October 14. Then we've got Dungeon Encounters. That comes out on October 14 as well. This is all for PlayStation 4, if I didn't mention that before. Uh, Dungeon Encounters was actually only announced like a week ago. It's a Square Enix thing. And the best way to describe it is a roguelike that plays out on a crossword puzzle. That's what? Yeah, I kid you not. It, it's, it's a very simple looking game, but it actually looks amazing in how simple it looks. And yeah, it's Dungeon Crawler where your characters are moving around a map that looks like a crossword puzzle. That sounds awesome, but that title yeah. does not describe that type of game at all. Imagine well, Dungeons... if it was a crossword and you actually had to solve the crossword to progress in That's the what I thought puzzle. it would be. Dun Dungeon Encounters is just such a vanilla bland name, especially coming from a Japanese company. Usually it'd be like Dungeon Encounters XV slash dot <laughs> mesh. Double heart. But also, Loppy, is it one of the, um, no. the Western games that Square Enix is building? No, no, no. This is a Japanese one. Well, it was announced, yeah, it was announced at TGS. And oh. it was there. There were two announcements that they had at TGS, which were really exciting. Firstly, that you could play a new demo for Final Fantasy Origin, which I haven't actually yet. I've got it downloaded onto my PS5. I'm looking forward to that, um, getting into that demo. And then there was also Dungeon Encounters, which came out of nowhere. It looks good. Definitely go and check it out. Um well, you might want to wait for our review because I've got to plug digitallydownloaded.net, but we will cover it, of course. It does look good. Uh, the Good Life comes out on October 15. That is oh, the yeah. latest game from Mr. Sweary. Uh, we do like Mr. Sweary here at DDNet. Uh, it's looking very good. He plays Naomi, a journalist from New York who hangs out at a British backwoods British town called Radywoods and just lives a good life. It seems very wholesome and nice, which is good. Uh, on October 15, the if you're into your first-person shooty-shooties, Crisis Remastered Trilogy comes out. I'm pretty sure that's going to be popular. Crisis was a well-loved series before EA did its EA thing. I think Crytek now owns Crisis again, so they can do what they want with it. This might be the start of a revival for that franchise. 
Also on October 15, Demon Slayer comes out. The first Demon Slayer game. Now, Demon Slayer is an excellent anime. I actually just watched the movie about a week ago. It was good. I cried. It was sad. Um, but, yeah, this one, unfortunately, is by the developer of all those Naruto and Dragon Ball brawlers, um, Cyber Connect 2, and they're terrible, usually. But I have thoughts about this one. I have been playing it a bit. I can't talk about those just yet because Embargo needs a lift. But if you're a Demon Slayer fan, you'll probably get something out of that. Unfortunately, we don't have Alan on the podcast because otherwise he'd be going ballistic about this. But NHL 22 comes out on October 15. If you like your sports, if you're a sports ball fan, then what's well, not really a ball, is it? If you're a sports puck fan, then NHL 22 will scratch an itch. Uh, also on, no, not, no, it's October 19. On October 19, Kiwi comes out. And I don't know much about this game other than you get to play as a Kiwi. And that's been the bird, not the fruit. And yeah, that's pretty cool. Kiwi birds are good. Weird animal, but cute. <laughs> I've just sold a half of New Zealand now. <laughs> they do love their kiwis over there. It is. It's a cute bird, but it's a weird little bird. I mean, we're Australians. We can't call animals weird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but in Australia, we eat our animals. Like, do they eat the kiwi? Probably. Oh not. no, no, no. Next, next, next. <laughs> no. I mean, you wouldn't get much more than a nugget out of it. Trend. It's not a very efficient use of. Um, meat it's a very little bird on october 19 the caligula effect 2 comes out that being a jrpg that's good i can't talk about it yet but i want to um here's one that i've been looking forward to on the very much down low so i'm gonna probably forget about it again till it comes out but then i'll get excited and play it and probably love it disciples liberation comes out on october 21 that is a mature dark fantasy strategy RPG, which describes probably three quarters of the games that come out these days. But um, yeah, it's one of those retro style RPGs for people that grew up playing them. And after the disappointment that Diablo, uh, sorry, that Baldur's Gate 3 was, um, yeah, I've been looking for more games that scratch that itch. And certainly Disciples is one that I'm pinning a lot of hopes on. And then we get closer and closer towards Halloween, which means all the horror games come out. On October 22, we've got the Dark Pictures Anthology, House of Ashes, which is, should oh, be nice. good. Harvard's played one of those. I've played one of those. Um, they were right. They're good. It's a good house party game. Just brings people over and play through a run of that game. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, this one actually takes place in, like, um, a crypt for one of the oldest civilizations in history. Uh, you end up exploring that, and there's like some mummy or something. They're all slightly different to one another. I played the ghost ship one, and you played the Salem. The, the crucible village. one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the crucible-style village one. This one, yeah, this one takes place in the, the hot desert of Iraq. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that a bit. The Smurfs Mission Vileaf comes out on October 25. That's a horror game in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's a real transition we had there. It could be a horror game. We never know. We never know what's gonna happen with them Smurfs. They can go some very strange places. I don't know much about that, but weirdly enough, I'd probably play it. I I I, I don't know. Smurfs things kind of catch me eventually. It's one of those weird things. No kids uh, even know about the Smurfs. Yeah, they probably don't these days. It's not a kid's thing, but I'm an old kid. 
I'm really old at this stage. So, yeah, I'm allowed to enjoy Smurfs still. On October 26, if you're into your contents, then Marvel's Galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy comes out. It's going to be a contents game for people who like their contents. So, yeah, whatever. Uh, more importantly, on October 26, Neptunia times Senrin Kagura comes out. <laughs> that's wow, gonna that's a... That's going to be much better than Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a it? real Infinity War of a crossover, if I'm going to myself. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. This is the first time that those super, super fan service franchises have crossed over. It is being developed by the veterans of the Neptunia action RPGs, so they know what they're doing with this, more or less. And, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm just expecting that, as long as it's fun. What else have we got? I'm just scrolling now. Uh, I'm still on PlayStation 4. On October 28, Undernaught's Labyrinth of Yomi comes out. Now, that is an Experience Inc. dungeon crawler. It doesn't have the most inspiring name, I guess, but Experience Inc. make the most beautiful dungeon crawlers you have ever played. I'm expecting this one to be much the same. I'm really excited for that. I can't wait. I love Experience Inc. They're a tiny little developer out of Japan, uh, but the quality of what they put out is just right up there definitely what did they make they made stranger of sword city oh of course savior yes. of sapphire wings or whatever they also made the horror games um the spirit hunter horror games so Deathmark and ng oh, yeah, yeah i do like them they're good yeah the, whatever they do they just have the most beautiful sense of aesthetics and they back it up with some very quality it's standard but very high quality gameplay on October 28, Fatal Frame and Maiden of Blackwater comes out. That's the port of the Wii U Fatal Frame because it was on the Wii U. No one played it. So hopefully people play it this time around and give it a fair shake. Fatal Frame. That's also Project Zero in the West. Uh, in the West, everywhere but America. Um, everywhere but America. Switch. Sorry? I forgot that was leaving the Wii U. Yes, yes. It's, um, it's coming to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 and Switch and stuff. And... Didn't yeah. you get all the, you know, the gamers going, well, Nintendo's lost the IP now because it's going to the PlayStation, you know, arguments on the internet? I still don't know why Nintendo ever got that IP. <laughs> Probably to save it because it is, I mean, it is definitely niche by even Koei Tecmo standards. So, yeah, I, I don't expect it to set the sales charts alight, but... Project Zero is my favourite horror series, so that's the one I've been keeping my eye on the most, and I'm hoping it delivers well. I'm hoping it's not broken. I did play it on the Wii U. I was one of the two people that did, and I thought it was excellent. So as long as it's not broken, I'll love it on the whatever I played on this time around. On October 28, the voice of cards, the Isle Dragon Roars lens, that was the um, card-based RPG by Yoko Taro that was demoed on the Switch a couple of weeks ago and everyone went ballistic for it because it is amazing and i can't wait to see what it's like in full i played that demo twice already i don't have time for anything else but i played demo the, the demo for this game anyway because it's just so cool i really really love it i can't wait to see the full thing uh and that's it for playstation 4. so let's try and hurry things along playstation 5 it's much of the same stuff so demon slayer nhl 22 that comes out a bit earlier on PlayStation 5, actually. Must be EA trying to push the new generation a bit more. Disciples Liberation comes out. The Dark Pictures Anthology comes out on PS5. 
Guardians of the Galaxy comes out on PS5. Um, Pumpkin Jack, which I don't know anything about, but that sounds cool. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the little icon here of what this game is, and it's like a, it's like the Headless Horseman, only instead of no head, he's got a pumpkin head, which is just the potential is there. I'm sure it won't deliver, but the potential is there. It's a very Halloween time, <laughs> timely game. Yes, yes. It comes out just in time for Halloween, October 27. So really, the PlayStation 5, I'm just looking through. There's nothing else, um, actually. Oh, there is one more that I will mention. On October 31, right at the end of the month, Sunshine Manor comes out, and that is an 8-bit blood-soaked horror RPG. Don't know anything else about it, but... It's coming only it. to the PS5. Yeah, coming only to the PS5. <laughs> um, 8-bit, that's that's pushing the console all the way. Oh, it's a prequel to 2016's Camp Sunshine, if you've played it, which I haven't. I don't know anything about these Sunshine games, but 8-bit blood-soaked horror RPG certainly catches my attention. I'll try and keep an eye on that one towards the end of next month, if I'm not sick of horror stuff by then, which I probably will be. It sounds um, a bit like Sweet Home. I'm just imagining it, but it could be good. Yeah, it could be good. I mean, Sweet Home was all right. Sweet Home was pretty good. All right, on the Switch, so we got to go through the PS5 quickly. The Switch has a couple of different games. Uh, Disco Elysium, the final cut, comes out on Switch on October 12, which is good because I'll finally play it. Are we getting that? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it did get unbanned. Oh, it did get unbanned? Yeah, yeah, it got unbanned. You can play it now on all the other consoles. So it's coming out on Switch. It's oh, actually nice. listed on the Switch store at the moment in Australia as well. So, yeah, I'll finally play it, which is good. Um... Catty and Batty, the Spirit Guide, comes out on Switch on October 13. Don't know much about that. It's just black and white sketch drawn art, so that could be fun. It's inspired by Lemmings and Tower Defense. I don't know how those two work together, but they do apparently. Uh, the Switch also gets Doctor Who, The Edge of Reality, that comes out on October 14. Uh, the Switch also gets the Jackbox, Jackbox Party at Pack 8, which makes sense. I'd be a bit disappointed if a Jackbox Party game wasn't released on Switch at this point. A Little Golf Journey comes out on October 14. A relaxing adventure golf experience on beautiful diorama courses across a variety of destinations. Sounds okay. nice. Yeah, sounds pleasant. Pleasant is good, I guess. Oh, here's one that I'm, oh, I'll give a go on the Switch. Tears of a VR. Now, I played that on the PC, and it's a strategy RPG with turn-based kind of tactics, a tactics RPG thing, very indie, but it was all right on PC. It's something that I think will work better on Switch just because it's more pick-up-and-play there, and I'll give it another go. It wasn't groundbreaking or anything, um, but it was enough. It was all right. That comes out on October 14. The Switch also gets Dungeon Encounters, which is their crossword roguelike rpg thing that comes out on october 14 on the switch here's the top game of the month for sure waifu discovered two medieval fantasy that comes out Where on did they keep coming from? why are there so many of them so waifu discovered was it's actually a shmup and it's a shmup where you blast the clothes off the background because the 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 character in the background is this giant girl and by playing well and shooting all the bits, her clothes fall off. And the 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 original one, the first waifu discovered, was noteworthy in that it was one of the few Switch games that features like actual nudity. It goes all the way. 
So there you go. If you're into your fan service, then you won't get more fan servicey than Waifu Discovered. And now you can look forward to the medieval theme themed sequel on October 14. Not, not okay. to be that guy, but I feel like it it should be uncovered because it's a funnier title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scrolling past a lot of other stuff. The Crisis Remastered trilogy does come out on Switch as well. Oh, the Switch to run. The Switch to, <laughs> It's gonna run. Apparently the first one worked well enough on Switch, right? I heard. It's interesting because maybe they turned down the graphics a bit, but Crisis is still kind of infamous for being that game that destroys CPUs, so Yes. Yeah. So I'm sh- I'm sure they will have turned the graphics down a bit for the Switch board, but I mean Crisis is pretty enough. Like the aesthetics, not the technical. It it is also very technically demanding, but it's pretty enough on aesthetic level anyway. So yeah, I I don't know. I, I'll, I'll give it a go. We don't have that many shooters on the Switch, so there you go. Um, Smash Brothers Ultimate Sora, the very last DLC character, and not the right one because it wasn't Hatsune Miku, but Sora comes out on October 18, and then finally people will shut up about that game. <laughs> it's all That's... about the Nickelodeon game now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I'm kind of interested in trying that Nickelodeon one. It's it's sitting on the edge of the things that I want to do on my Switch. Uh, the Caligula Effect comes out on October 19 as well, if you want to play RPGs on your Switch instead, there you go. Uh, if you're into your zombie open world thing, Dying Light Platinum Edition comes out on Switch on October 19. That's going to be, I don't know, I wasn't a fan of Dying Light, but other people are, so good for them. Corpse Party comes out on October 20. That's it. That's all it says on this thing. It doesn't actually even have a little image there, so I don't know if it's actually going to happen. But the, corpse, the first Corpse Party? Corpse Party brackets 2021. I can never follow this series. I don't know how what what's going on with Corpse Party, but... Corpse Party 2021, I think it might be a remake of the first one. I think I have vague impression that somebody said that somebody was doing some remake about Corpse Party, and that might be it. I don't know. If it happens, it happens. Yeah, yeah. That's that's basically how I go about Corpse Party. If it just lands on my lap, then I'll, I'll play it, because they're actually pretty good games, but it's impossible to keep a track of what they actually do with that series. It's the most mishandled property in the history of video games. Uh, my friend Peppa Pig comes out on October 22. Speaking of, again, horror. It's like the Smurfs and Peppa Pig just in between all these ultra-gory horror games. That's Unless... the thing I don't like about Switch is that their store page doesn't let doesn't sort by categories like the PS4 store does. So mm. you're going to get Waifu Uncovered next to Corpse <laughs> Party next to my friend Peppa Pig and just yeah. deal with it. Yeah, I know. That's, the, that's why people who have young kids that play the Switch should definitely be using those parental controls. Uh, this one I'm actually looking forward to. I've seen it on the Switch eStore a couple of times, and every time I see it, I click on it, and then I end up looking at the description and thinking, this could be all right. Hermitage, the Strange Case Files. It's a visual novel thing, but it has a nice visual style, and, yeah, it, it could be good. It seems like it's a pretty strong mystery style VN. And yeah, it's just catch, caught my attention each time. And usually when a game does that, then there's something to it. Uh, Shadow Corridor comes out on October 26. Now, this is a very Japanese horror game uh, in that it's all about a haunted no mask and N-O-H, not N-O, N-O-H, the theater style in Japan. It's all about a haunted no mask and 
it's very, very Japanese. And it's a kind of a, a randomized one as well. So um, each time you play, the, the level's different. It's a roguelike as such, I guess. Roguelike horror game. I don't have too much else I can say about it right now because embargoes and stuff, but I am playing that one for review and you can look forward to my opinions on that soon enough. Uh, Undernaught also comes out on Switch on October 28. So does Fatal Frame or Project Zero. Voice of Cards also comes out on Switch on October 28. October 28 is going to be a busy day. And you're just scrolling through the rest. So Nintendo has one big game coming out in October. That's Mario Party Superstars. That is the board game. That's the collection of all the old board games, isn't it? That's the really old ones from Mario Party 2 and 1 and stuff. They've remastered them for the Switch. And you can play as Yoshi running around the board, earning stars. That's, That's probably... It's going to hurt your hands because I remember those games have a lot of button mashy mini games. Which no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the first one, like, so the 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 story that's famous about Mario Party is the very first Mario Party got so bad that Nintendo actually offered people free gloves. Like they, <laughs> they did. They actually created a a, um, a set of a couple of like a, a manufacturing run of of gloves that they were giving out to people to for free because there was one mini game and this is on the N64 where you had to or there's a couple of mini games where you had to twirl the control stick. And people realized that the best way that you could do that fast and you had to do it as fast as you could was to actually rest your palm on it and then you know, stir stir the control stick around. And because the control stick on the N64 was ribbed, it would actually cut into the hands and people were getting, oh, gosh. Yeah, people were getting all kinds of lacerations and stuff from playing this. And so Nintendo had to give out gloves. That's why they've never actually restored the original Mario Party for virtual consoles and stuff. When they did the virtual console, the the N64 um, virtual console on the Wii, wasn't it? Yeah, on the Wii, uh, they put Mario Party 2 on, but not the original one because the original one was a health hazard. And yeah, if they've brought some of that stuff back in a way that's not going to destroy people's hands, then that's good. I don't know. Do you exactly. imagine people complaining about the Joy-Cons with like that sort of issue? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back then you didn't get drift from your controllers, so <laughs> they would just hurt you. It just, it just, it just, yeah, it gives you cut their hands deep cuts. There was one funny quick story um, because Mario Party is obviously a party game. We and I was a teenager back then when the first Mario Party came out. I had friends over pretty regularly to play, and we had only four controllers, and one controller had the top of the control stick off, broken off. So it only had like the stick itself. <laughs> and um, we gave that to one guy and told him he had to play the game with that, um, just the stick, not the not the little top of it. And yeah, he, he wasn't very good at the mini games, which was pretty funny. I, I still remember that to that day. Because <laughs> everybody else was like twirling their hands around trying to stir the control stick to do those mini games fast, and he had no idea what he was doing. But he's like pinching a tiny little like stick on the controller. Yeah, I mean you could still play games with it because it was still the stick, but it just you couldn't do any of the action stuff with it because yeah, if he was going to if he was going to do that kind of um, stirring action for the, the mini games, he was going to put the whole controller right through his hand, which would have been pretty funny, but he didn't. Surely uh, you could have given him some blue he showed tack. Some <laughs> he showed some self-restraint. Um, the last DLC for Hyrule Warriors comes out on October 29. 
Guardian of Remembrance, which will be cool. I do enjoy that game. Dollhouse, if you're into your horrors, that was a very not good horror game. But if you're that into your horror that you have to play yet another one, that comes out on October 29. Tie the Tasmanian Tiger HD. Oh, no, it's a two-pack. So you'll be able to buy the two Tie the Tasmania Tiger HD games on Switch together in one in October 29. That's noteworthy for being kind of uh, 3D Mario-style platformers with a very Australian twist. So you play as a kangaroo and you get to hang out with cockatoos and stuff. That was that was nice. Remember those days where people actually tried to make games that represented Australia <laughs> rather than just make games in Australia? So, yeah, tie the Tasmania Tiger. It's cool. And Sunshine Manor, that 8-bit blood-soaked horror RPG that we're talking about before, that comes out on October 31 as well. Right, so after all of that, that was a lot of games. What are you looking forward to the most, Trent? What was it? Uh, well, I, well, I've already played Metroid this week, and like we didn't say Metroid came out this month. Like, that was last month, according to no, us. No, because this is, this is the games coming out in the future, Trent. The future, I mean. Yeah, not the games that are already out. Uh, what was it? Guardians of Galaxy. That, that's probably what I'll pick up. Yeah. You're going to play the content game. The content game. But it's, it's going to be great. No, it's not. It's going to be content. That's the point. <laughs> and I'm going to be content with the game, Matt. I will say. I will say one good thing about that. It was there was news that just broke yesterday. The developer of that content game, which is um, Eidos Montreal, I think, they've actually created or they've, they've installed a new policy within the organization that uh, everybody works a four-day week without a cutting pay like it's um they've reduced the the work week to 32 hours for their development team and everybody gets a three-day weekend every weekend as standard which is which is really nice i mean that's what a lot of people have been pushing for the world to move to for a while now that uh, the, the five-day work week is not the ideal way of doing things and these guys are actually trying it on for the video game industry, assuming that that doesn't result in, you know, everybody just doing more overtime and crunching like crazy for those four days that they are week working. I mean, the cynical person in me says that, well, the games are out now. You can, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're just working on DLC, so you don't need to work as hard. So we'll do this uh, thing for a PR victory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard not to be cynical about video game work practices because they're always so terrible, but if this is a genuine thing, then it is a very good thing that the developer is doing. I hope it works and I hope it becomes standard across the industry because this is a bit beside the point, but if uh, if if video game developers are treated better and work less hours, we'll actually get better games, I think. Anyway, that's, uh, that's a nice thing to do with the content game. So I guess by supporting it, at least you're supporting that if that's genuine. What about you, Harvard? What are you looking forward to? I'm probably going to play The Good Life because good life. I keep rem remembering that I am a Kickstarter backer for that game. So oh, you, oh I keep forgetting about that game. Yes, I'm a Kickstarter backer. <laughs> Many too. years in the making. There was a really funny thing because they put a demo for that game out. Um, and on Twitter, somebody was like, hey, Sweary, I really love your game. I would like to send you feedback. Where, where can I send feedback? I'd like to send feedback on how to make the game better. Where can I send feedback? And Sweary responded, I don't listen to feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making my own game. Um, and he quote tweeted it. So, of course, that poor bugger who had like 10 followers, he just got ratio deal. <laughs> he took it in good spirit. Everybody was, yeah, it wasn't one of those 
kind of pile on troll things. It was everybody was taking it in good spirit, including the guy that did the comment. But it was pretty funny. It's one of those cute interactions on Twitter that actually didn't go toxic fast. So, yeah. But Sweary is the kind of guy to not listen to feedback. <laughs> it's great. I love him. He's he's such a such a highlight of the industry. Um, as for me, I mean, I've, there's so many of these games that I actually want to play. I'm going to probably go with. I'm look, definitely looking forward to the experiencing Dungeon Crawler, I think. Undernauts, Labyrinth of Yomi. I just love experiencing so much, and I was so happy to hear that this one was getting localized. So, yeah, I can't wait. All right, so after all of that, we'll uh, we'll go to some music from... What will we go to some music from? What's some good music that we is related to what we just talked about? Um, Caligula Effect? Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. We'll go to some Caligula Effect music and then we'll come back and we've got a rather interesting topic to talk about this month. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so for this podcast, uh, the topic we're talking about this time around is islands. Islands in video games, which is a weird topic, but uh, both Trent and Harvard have thoughts about islands in video games and how they're presented (laughs) and what they do for the gameplay experience. So there are quite a few games that have islands in them. Um, What I'm going to do is hand it over to Harvard to actually introduce his thoughts about this topic and then we can roll from there so harvard tell me islands can i clarify that the the way we got to this topic was we started talking about desert island games like what would you bring to a desert island and then we started thinking oh actually no islands are interesting in games themselves so now we're here but hear me out so when we think about islands we think about cohesive environments. I like games that let you explore an area without throwing you back and forth between new settings, right? So I find that games that have this island aesthetic tend to do this really well. And a great example of that is Proteus, where you have this consistent space and everything in that area is just available to you. And so all you do is just walk around, enjoy the space and figure out all the different interactions that exist in this area. I think lots of people have the same feeling about The Witness, although that's a bigger island and has more things going on. That style of design is really interesting to me, where you're just dropped in this one big continuous space and you just wander around and you explore and you see what there is to see. 
I guess that's a question. I mean, when you think about islands in video games, does the idea pop into your head of a small space? Because these days with the rendering power of the consoles and whatever, they can actually, I mean, it becomes a kind of almost a convenient way of creating those open world experiences with boundaries. So, I mean, the, the obvious example for that is Ghost of Tsushima, which is set on an island. <laughs> um, but it certainly, you know, it's a huge space to explore around. Yeah, so, I, I would I mean, include things like Just Cause, which is very based on islands as well. Just games that have that enclosed space and just keep you continuously in it compared to games like Uncharted, which would go, okay, we're going to be in this country now, goodbye. Yeah, yeah, I guess, um, well, Far Cry 6 takes place on an island too, doesn't it? The new one. I don't know, I haven't been paying attention to Far Cry. Yeah, I, I don't pay much attention to Far Cry either. But yeah, it, it's interesting for me because, I mean, it, to me anyway, when somebody says this game's set on, on, on an island, certainly what pops into my head is something like Survival Kids, which I'm sure Trent will bring up at some point soon. Um where it is quite a small space, um, because to me, the the island itself becomes a character then when it is a very small area that you're exploring around. Um, well, it becomes the, more intimate. It, it's it like, does. You know, and there's also like a very specific design methodology for those smaller games with smaller islands like stuff like you know Link's Awakening you know that's an island and you've got like the mountain area you got the you know the water area you got the forest area you got the village like that's even copied in a lot of the survival kids games like you know lo the lost in blue versions you know they've got distinct areas like you've got the mountains you got the forests you got the jungles you got the beaches like that's a very like that's how a lot of island games are themed in terms of progression and locations, I guess. I'm actually well, really curious. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say Link's Awakening is probably a good example of how islands have progressed as a way of dealing with limitations of the hardware or whatever. Because, I mean, Link's Awakening was certainly placed on an island because the Game Boy couldn't render anything that was larger than that. So it was a convenient way of the developers limiting the scope of the adventure in comparison to what you could do on the Super Nintendo at the time with, uh, uh oh, I've got a blank on the name of the Super NES and Zelda game. Link to the Past. It links to the Past. Whoa, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Link to the Past was a much bigger game, but they couldn't do that on the Game Boy. So their solution was, hey, let's stick it on an island. Uh, and, but then, you know, you fast forward to today and the islands are still being used as a way of creating that boundary that doesn't feel artificial. It's a natural boundary that you can't go beyond, uh, but they're of the size and scale of Ghost of Tsushima or Just Cause or whatever now. Far Cry, apparently. Not that I played Far Cry. But, uh, yeah, I, I find it interesting because, for me, definitely the smaller size thing just fits with the idea of a game about an island, like an Animal Crossing thing, you know? It's tiny, but it's contained and it's kind of elegant in that. Trent, I was going to ask you about the uh, the Lost in Blue or the Survival Kid series because I played the first one on DS and I have extremely fond memories of that game. But I that's not the first one, Harvard. The I, first know, one I know, I know, I know the first one that game. we got. Uh, <laughs> but it's so hard to access now because it's only on DS, right? And I don't yes. know if I'd actually recommend anybody to buy a DS and play that game, because I don't think it's, like, transcendent and amazing. It just means a lot to me. You but, could get the Wii one. 
Was a Wii one? Oh yeah, the Wii the Wii one is interesting enough. I I I in terms of where I'd rate them, the Wii one would probably be up there. I think the third the third DS one is probably the better one in terms of if you're talking about the Lost in Blue like stuff. I think Survival Kids for me, like I think Survival Kids did a lot more crazier, more interesting things in terms of story and progression and stuff like that. Whereas Lost in Blue was more contained and more about surviving. Like, you know, you look at Survival Kids too, like the one which was unlocalized, like you get dropped off in a helicopter. There's like a, like an evil base, like on some random part of the island where you have to like escape through like, you know, like a little motorboat to leave the island. Like, you know, it's, it's like got some really crazy story themes, whereas Lost in Blue, the other ones, they're more, you know, there's, it's more about, okay, well, you're going to this area and you can do X, Y, and Z to survive and, that's pretty much it, and that can lead you to leave the island or continue the the story. So, I liked, uh, I actually liked the original Survival Kids the most. Um, I'll tell you why. So, at the time that Survival Kids came out, that being the Game Boy one, um, the Game Boy Color one, I was around the same time, not exactly at the same time, but close enough that it was in my memory. I was reading Gary Paulson's Hatchet, which is, um, I guess you call it a youth novel it was before they were calling youth novels youth novels but hatchet was really neat hatchet was about a dude that a teen dude i can't remember exactly his his exact age it's been he's like 13 or something he's young oh you've read the book have you cool yeah yeah, i read it recently actually oh cool okay so yeah he's like 13 and he's on this little plane because he's off to see his dad or his mum one of his parents his parents are split so on, on a school holiday He's uh, he jumps on this plane to go and see his other parent. And for some reason, the parent that was uh, he, he was leaving for the holidays gives him a hatchet as a gift. I don't know why you'd give your kid an axe as a gift, but um, he's he's on this plane with this gift axe and the plane crashes. The pilot has a heart attack. I think it was. Uh, and the plane crashes and he's thrown off into the into the wilderness and he needs to survive. And all he's got is this axe and of course he does and eventually he gets rescued and stuff but it's oh that was a spoiler um (laughs) no he dies (laughs) but yeah that was a that was a really good book that i really loved i actually read it quite a few times through when i was uh younger and survival kids was that similar experience um just in video game form that you play as a kid that gets gets shipwrecked up and needs to survive has very little to start with needs to collect bits and pieces, make equipment, doing crafting before crafting was common to every video game. And yeah, find food and not eat raw meat and things like that. So yeah, it was it was that kind of experience. And for me that really I guess set the stone set the tone for what comes to mind when I think of kind of an island experience. I think that shipwrecked thing is a really cool thing that more video games should do but then again if they did them today that'll be those stupid survival games i can't stand those things i was gonna say like the ship track idea is like a huge trope in terms of the island games though but it does help in terms of making them it seem more mysterious and you know like some island games like you know you've got like 
another code, for example, that's set on an island, but that's still got, you know, you're going to this island, like you're not getting crashed into the island, but you're still going to the island, you know, it's building up the tension, it's building up the mystery about the island. Uh, and, you know, that that's ultimately is what island games do really well. It's like that initial, like, you know, it's like me with, you know, your Final Fantasy tactics game with the snowball scenes, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, it's a good introduction game, you know, it gives you, you know, like the characters, it teaches you stuff. Like that, that for me, like that in island games is that whole shipwreck trope because it builds up the story. It makes it seem mysterious and you're just dropped into it straight away sort of thing. But where you end up, you have the tools to sort of start progressing and learn the game really quickly. So it, it's, you know, one of those sort of like introductiony things I like really well about games. <laughs> well, I mean, the, this, the, the mystery of the shipwreck thing is is great thing, and definitely developers have used that very effectively. Another good example is the rebooted Tomb Raider, the first one. That's a shipwreck game. You end up on an island. It doesn't feel like an island because of the way it's been kind of linear designed so that um, it's progressive and because of that um, you don't really get a sense that you're on an island as such you're not really exploring but it is set on an island and uh, the the shipwrecked opening scene just give you that uh, impression of mystery and stuff especially when you start going through uh, when you when you wake up on the the beach or whatever and uh, you, you find yourself in a very horrific situation but that original tomb raider um that opening scene certainly caught my attention and made me really pay really get into the game in those initial moments i think in a way that the later two in the rebooted tomb raider series were not as effective at is that tomb raider reboot series still going i haven't heard from it for a while i don't know the the last one sold crap Uh, uh, i mean the first one even didn't do that well yeah, but we're talking well enough to justify sequels. This third one actually sold really poorly. Um, if you look at the numbers, I'm pretty sure it hasn't turned around since. So, yeah, it, it did not do well, and I doubt that. I mean, Square Enix means Square Enix. I don't think that'll mean a, a third one for a while um, with that series. A bit like Deus Ex. You know, the first one, the first rebooted Deus Ex did very well. The second one did not, so we haven't seen a third. That's a shame. They're, they're, both of those series were going places. And then they got the... Uh, Avengers license and that's yeah, and now they're just printing money off content. Well, that one's been doing really well since it came on Game Pass. Apparently, like the numbers of that have exploded now that people are paying it. For oh, free. Avengers is on Game Pass now. Yeah, like the the, the like the the battling game where you, where you pick your Avengers character and then you like get the story and all that sort of stuff. That one, the new one, the new one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I gotta play it now. That's on, that, it's on Game Pass. <laughs> that's on Game Pass, and since it dropped on there, the numbers of that have picked up massively. So that's how they turned that one into a success. With those big games these days, you can often muscle your way into making something out of it. I mean, look at what happened with No Man's Sky and various other games. And we've left the island. Well, No Man's Sky is a kind of island experience, isn't it? You know, I mean, kind of hot planets have island. islands. Islands are well. No, planets. if you think if you think of it at, at an absolutely massive scale. Like, the planets are islands within the context of space, right? I mean, this starts to become a philosophy discussion about it what, what, de- what it defines <laughs> an island. If it's more like on the mechanical side of things, I, I, I do see that argument. It's kind of like a tra- traversing distances between small enclosed spaces. I know the planets in No Man's Sky are, are theoretically enormous, but they do feel like small enclosed spaces where well, you start to learn. 
once you get to one of those planets, you actually don't tend to cover every inch of it, right? Um, you you do tend to just kind of experience a, a small section of it. And it does feel like you're hopping from kind of island to island. So I guess that was the point that I was making at the start. I mean, what kind of scale do we talk about with islands and what, what kind of structures them as an island experience within the context of video games? Because I would argue that No Man's Sky is an island experience. Well, I haven't played No Man's Sky since, like, the original No Man's Sky. I haven't played all the DLC and like how the game is basically completely different. So it might have a different feel. But what I loved about the original ones is, uh, and this is where we talk about islands as being, you know, uh, isolated sort of, you know, mysterious, you know, feeling. You know, No Man's Sky captured that really well as you're hopping between planets because, you know, you get to a planet and you're like, well, I don't know where I am. And then you start exploring a bit. You collect a few bits and pieces to maybe, you know, expand your character or your ship. You might find like a village settlement or maybe some creatures. But outside of that, it's very, you know, it was very isolated and very, okay, well, the time to go to the next, you know, location once you're done, that's one. Yeah, you're bringing back very fond memories of No Man's Sky. I think the feeling of first touching down on a planet and having to figure out what are the rules of this planet and what where can I get the resources I need to survive and what is there to be done here? What can I find? What makes this one different from the previous ones? That's a really good experience. And that is exactly the island experience of survival kids, right? It's exactly the same experience. It's just a, at a much different scale, but this uh, this idea has has continued on. It's just been redefined or restructured, but the, the fundamental experience has remained much the same. So there you go. This is the first podcast I think ever ever where somebody will say that Survival Kids and No Man's Sky are the same game. <laughs> I, I mean, in, in No Man's Sky, you're not really picking up a like a few random bits and pieces. Like it doesn't really have that Minecraft esque. Uh, uh, you know, let's build an axe, you know, oh, I found this twig from a tree and you know, I found this rock. Like, I like that about, you know, survival kids that's very, all the resources are actual island resources. Uh, you know, No Man's Sky probably, you know, elaborates that a little bit more and has like an economy and a few other things to make it a bit more, you know, mainstream and less of a Minecraft type game. Well, I, I, I'm certainly not saying that <laughs> survival kids in no man's sky are uh, exactly the same <laughs> then, i think it's like the underlying design philosophy the underlying common yeah, roots. yeah exactly it's, they they are much the same in terms of the, what the player feels um in playing those games that it does have that sense of mystery that the survival side of things the ability to use the resources that are around you um is is equivalent across both of them um so yeah i, I think Actually, it's quite, i think it's quite a common i think it's quite a common approach to video games but those times where you feel like you're actually on an island is such um that's not quite as common like i'd say most of those survival actual survival games which is a genre like once again i cannot stand but most of those survival games don't really feel like you're on an island as such. It's it's a different kind of experience. Um, but because in those games, the land itself is not the character. And I said that like at the start of the section that for me, for an island game to feel like an island game, the actual environment has to be 
a character in the the storytelling process so in survival kids it certainly is because you're on an island and your interactions with that island are kind of core to the the entire experience the same with no man's sky that your interactions with the planets that you're hopping between these little kind of islands within the greater scalar space is again the core interaction in that game but with those survival games the experience is more the interaction between you and the resources to create all the crafting and stuff which is it's different it's it seems subtle i guess but to me anyway there there is a significant difference between them I also think that, you know, even like researching this topic, for example, uh, you know, I was scrolling through Twitter and, you know, the video games uh, suggested character uh, category usually pops up and, you know, I get a lot of footage of random indie games and, you know, indies are definitely exploring the space, but I feel like a lot of their sort of takes on them are very gamified. Like you've got like events and other sort of like, it feels more like Stardew Valley, but on an island for a lot of these games, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but there's just a lot of content and, you know, things you can do, which, you know, just takes away from the actual, you know, island concept it's you know okay well let's go play golf now or let's go play <laughs> let's go to the island and play you know a little wave race like style game like one of the ones which i thought looks really really cool was this one which was like um you know called jellies in academic cutie or whatever it is and uh, oh, oh, sorry. It's got an academic cutie and there's Jelly's characters. And the Jelly's characters really remind me of uh, Juka and the uh, monophonic um, uh, menace. Like the concept of being able to collect uh, stuff and then make, you know, spells. Like that, I haven't seen that for a while. But outside of that, you know, they usually are pretty generic, these sort of games. Like, they're, you know, they're on an island and then there's all this content. But it's cool to see some of them having, like, cool grabbing things. Like, oh, this is what we're doing to make it different and be the different style thing. Like, another one which I found was uh, Dinkum, which was set on, you know, uh, Australia. And it was, like, full of, like, all this Australian, you know, propaganda. Like, you know, you've got wombats and, you know, Australian trees and Australian villages and stuff like that. But it's ultimately, like, that sort of modern survival game where it's sort of like Minecraft. It's sort of like Stardew Valley. It's taking away from that island concept. It's more about, you know, collecting resources and just doing whatever so a wombat's australian propaganda huh trent uh, i mean <laughs> that's <laughs> what i took out of what you just said there. <laughs> I, I i mean i i mean it's it's you know the outback you know it's about you know being straya that's like the game you know and wombats are part of that <laughs> you reminded me of a game that people don't talk about but is is very good uh, I think it came out in a really busy release window. It's called The Tourist, but spelt with a Y. And it's made by a developer that I like. I can't remember why I like them, but I, I feel very fondly about this director. And it's you basically just play as a tourist, and you go to different islands. You have to solve various mysteries to do with uh, the culture of that island. And it's a very humorous game. 
but I think it might have some of the things you're complaining about, Trent, where it's a lot of like distraction activities. But ultimately, I feel like even those activities feed into the culture of each island. There's one that's just like a stereotypical resort and they have like a, a rave dance. And there's a lot of people that are just in various ways dissatisfied with the rave dance. And one of your quests is to go make all the people feel satisfied. And I think all of these things add to that enclosed environment. You feel about you feel the culture and the the texture of that place, which I think being on that enclosed setting, it lets you appreciate it to a greater extent. Why do I know the name The Tourist? I'm sure I've heard of that one. But it's I'm... on the Switch. It's on, it's on a lot of things. It came out recently. It's made by someone who I like, but I can't remember who they are. <laughs> but yeah, the so... one which makes, uh, what do you call it, um, for games, well, I'm like on the website and I'm like really vague. Um, you know, Nanostray, that developer. Um, oh, Shinnin. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I like those guys. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, so... those guys, yeah. And it's a voxel-based game, so it's all pretty and arty and stuff that's like that probably, as well. That's probably why I didn't play it. I, that developer makes games that are very pretty, but also very not worth playing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was burnt on Nanostray. I, I'd agree with Matt there. I have a soft spot for Shinan, because they were making games on the on the 3DS when we were getting, like, one Game Boy game a month, so... Well, I mean, they were... They they really did push the boundaries of what could be done on all these consoles. They were making full 3D games on DSiWare when you were making you you were you were stuck with like 10 megabytes worth of download space that you could actually make a game into, and they were actually making 3D experiences out of that. And good on them for pushing the boundaries technically. But yeah, I've never got along with the mechanics or the design elements or the narrative of the games that they create. But whatever, that's that's neither here nor there. I guess I, one other thing that I found interesting with this island topic is how infrequently games engage with the island as a kind of um, an exotic kind of holiday location, if you want to call it that, because when I think about islands in the real world, every, everybody thinks about going to Tahiti for a holiday or spending time in a Fijian resort or hanging Bali. out in the great, great, yeah, Bali or one of the great barrier reef islands. Yeah. It's all about lounging by the poolside, drinking amazing amounts of beer and just kind of chilling. That to me is iconically the island experience. And that's certainly something that is culturally across much the Western world and the Western world is the one that make the video games. That's what lots of people from England and America come to islands for as well is to just chill, relax and enjoy the exotic warmth and um, aesthetics of the palm trees and the sandy beaches and all that kind of stuff. So that is something I would have thought we'd see more in video games, but we really don't. I feel That's like exactly that what a tourist is. does. Um, used it's sort of things like Far Cry or you know uh, Left 4 Dead those sort of games where you know they have that sort of experience for probably about five seconds and then something just you know ruins it like I, yeah, I feel like the, when that the, trope's being used it's that's what's happening yeah yeah I mean setting it up as a punchline is is fine but I would have thought more games more game developers would explore the ability for an island setting to just be a relaxing chill place especially these days that more people are looking for those relaxing chill games you know pe more people are, are looking to play bun house and 
just relax with their games. They're not looking necessarily for action all the time. Um, well, you had a short hike. That was pretty, you know. Oh, that was a great uh, game. Yeah, yeah, like it's like I'm going to go to this island, you know, and then you got a little short hike up the the hill, and then you they get the little experience. Like that felt less gamified, even though it had some little things like little puzzles. But it was mostly about the journey and getting to the top of the hill, and you know, connecting with you know yourself and you know understanding you know your relatives. Yeah, but I wouldn't, necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say that game was kind of the the tropical chill vibe, you know. Um, I mean, it started at a beach. <laughs> like, the one game I can think of, which is, you, you're all going to laugh when I say it, but the, the Dead or Alive um, volleyball <laughs> games, they, uh, they're, they're kind of what I'm talking about here, where you've got, putting aside the fan service, but... We're talking about a tropical resort. Your only goal is to just relax on this island. Uh, and the beats that are going on in the background are those tropical kind of laid back, chill beats. And that's it. That's the kind of experience. Why we don't have more games that tap into that, I'm not sure. I think there would be an opportunity to do so. Perhaps perhaps the problem is that people would expect the Dead or Alive experience, so they'd expect the fan servers to come with it. Uh, people think beach, resort, holidays and whatever, they also think lots of people in swimwear and, and stuff. Um, just for the record, if you actually go to a tropical island resort beachy thing, um, most of the people there are people you don't want to see in swimwear. But... Um, yeah, I don't know why game developers don't try and tap into that a lot more, because it's cool. It's a nice vibe. I, I like the tropical vibe. I like the, I, I like the island resort experience. And maybe we just need to tell some more developers to give it a go. Um, have we lost everybody? Are you there, no, Howard? No, no, oh, no, you're all just, you're all just, yeah, you're all just thinking about what I said. It was very profound. Very um, profound. Not really, <laughs> not really at all. Um. I think that's pretty much everything we've got to canvas on this topic. I think we've we've pretty much hit all the notes right. I don't think there's much else to say. So let's uh, let's give this a wrap. I think. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. As always, that was a that was a fascinating conversation we had. Do let us know your thoughts if you tune in and you want to have a chat with any of us about the island experience and how that relates to video games. Then just shout out. Otherwise, thanks as always for joining us, Harvard and Trent. That was really cool. And we'll go to some music. <laughs> I'm going to give Alan the challenge of finding music from Dead or Alive. He's going to have to go through YouTube and, <laughs> and find some tracks. He's going to have to go. Uh, so, yes, ha Alan's going to find some music from Dead or Alive Extreme. And he'll like the music. He doesn't like the characters, but he like, he'll like the music, I guarantee. And we'll end on that note. We'll see you all next month.
Trip.